want to extend my greeting as well and thank you. I know I met lots of uh, family members and friends of uh, folks today. Thank you for being here for our services. Throughout the uh, next several weeks, we're going to be spending some time in the book of Ephesians. So I'll invite you to turn there, Ephesians chapter 1. I think if you picked up one of the Bibles in the back, it's page 674. So what I'd like for each week uh, before I teach from God's Word, I'd like for us just to hear God's Word read. So I've asked uh, Gwen Campbell to come and share Ephesians 1, 1 through 14 with us this morning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, in which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ may be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What would it take today for, do you, for you to realize beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are blessed to know it and to feel it? What would it take? Would it take attention by that certain someone in your direction? What would it take? Would it take a little bit better health than you have right now? Would it take a a few kind words? Would it take a little bit more money? Would it take a job? For you to really know you're blessed, a better job, a new job? Would it take better behaving friends or neighbors or kids or better behaving parents? What would it take For you to know this morning that you are blessed. I think about that. I I would imagine lots of us 
would at least feel like we're there already. We would look at our lives and say, I feel blessed. I want us to dig into that this morning, like, well, why? Why do you know or why do you feel you are blessed? But for, for many in the room, it may be that you, you really, you could give lip service. I mean, you could do the hashtag that you're blessed, but in your heart, kind of beyond Hallmark or anything else, you really are feeling not so blessed. Why is that? This morning we begin a new series that will take us through every verse, Lord willing, in Ephesians. We're calling the series Becoming Who You Are, and that really is the message of Ephesians. Ephesians can be divided up into two parts. The first three chapters of Ephesians, this writing of Paul, the first three chapters speak to God's blessing with who we are in Christ. The last three chapters in Ephesians speak of becoming who we are. This passage that Gwen read earlier kind of reminded us right out of the gate that above all else we can say this, we are blessed. I mean, that's the, the scripture in verse 3. We've been, we've been blessed and blessed be God who blesses us with all spiritual blessings. I mean, the words repeated again and again. And those just aren't future blessings, they're present blessings. And Paul gives this kind of customary greeting and He identifies who he is and he identifies the recipients. But then he says, you have been blessed by God. These blessings come in verse 3. They come in the heavenly places. The heavenly realms. Sometimes when I, I, I think when we hear like heaven, immediately our mind goes to something in the future and something far away and something that doesn't seem so real, it kind of seems surreal. And I think if we take that to, when we read we've been blessed with all, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in the heavenly realms, we're, we're not going to understand this is something that's not distant, it's actually very present and it's not something surreal, it's very real and it's not something in, merely in the future after we die, that we'll be blessed, but it is actually active today. It seems right to start thinking about blessing with this concept, that God takes the initiative to bless. God takes the initiative to bless. I think the first 14 verses of Ephesians 1 are all about blessing. And God takes the initiative to bless. So much so that if there is no God, there is no blessing. If God doesn't exist, there is no blessing. God leads and God takes the initiative to bless. And in doing so, he shows that he's filled with grace and he's filled with glory. So interesting as I, as I read through, and I hope you keep uh, the Bibles open or the screen on so you can kind of follow, follow along with Scripture. But in verse 5, it says that he blesses to the praise of his glorious grace. In verse 7, he blesses according to the riches of his grace. In verse 12, this is done to the praise of his glory. It repeats, notice this. Verse 14, he, he blesses to the praise of his glory. His glory, which means the, the, the worth of God, the infinite worth of God's perfections gone public, put on display. He's wanting to show his glory, the, the worth of, how, of who he is, and that put on display and as he shows us blessings. 
He's showing us He is glorious and He's filled with grace. God, I hope you know this from Scripture. God takes the initiative. He's not merely a responder. You see that. You see that in several words. And actually, it reminds us of something. Ephesians 1, if you read those first 14 verses, it reminds us that we have and we need a big God. We have and we need a big God. There are words that for, for a variety of reasons, some of the words that we, we read earlier kind of get our attention and they kind of even, they're like flashing lights at us. So in verse 4, we read the word, he chose, God chose. In verse 5 and 11, you read, he predestined. In verse 5 and 9, depending on the translation, the ESV says he purposes. Other translations say he does so by his good pleasure. There are desirable results that God has in mind. In verse 5, verse 9, verse 11, he has a will and he has deliberate actions that he, that he does according to his will. He, he makes his choice and he exercises his will. In verse 10, it talks about his plan and that plan isn't something that's like archived in a PDF on someone's server somewhere, but it's a plan that really is working itself out today on May 8th and will on May 9th and will on May 10th and will in 2017 and 18. God has a plan. We read words in verse 11 about his purpose, verse 11 about his counsel. These words point his, his choice, his predestiny, his pleasure, his will, his plan, his purpose, his counsel. These words point to a big God. It reminds us, once again, if we needed the reminder, we aren't the center of the universe. He is. I think to help, to help us understand like the blessings of all that's wrapped up in God taking this initiative toward us. And how big he is, we have to, almost have to think about the alternative. What if, what if God was not a big God, but what if he was a small God? So what if we had a God who had no choice in how the world was run? Just kind of sits off somewhere near Jupiter and hopes the best happens. What if we had a God who couldn't determine anything, much less predestine something? What if you and I had a God who had no purpose, no desirable results in mind? What if we had a God who couldn't make up his mind, and even if he did, it wouldn't make much of a difference because... He couldn't act in any sort of deliberate way anyway. What if we had a a small God who couldn't think of a plan and could never execute it, even if by some chance he thought of a plan for this world? What if we had a God who just did very random things without any sort of wisdom, without any sort of counsel? What if we had such a small God that it would, we could compare it to like by a, kindergartner who loves to just make up songs as they go and sometimes they make sense and often they don't but just kind of as it goes she's making it up what if God was that way just kind of making it up random haphazard 
The fact is, when you have an electrical problem fixed, you don't want an inept electrician. When you have a plumbing problem, you don't want an incompetent plumber at your house. When you need tech support, you want someone who has a plan and wisdom and knowledge when it comes to IT and can execute that plan. And I'd say if we want those things in those realms, how much more do we want a God in the heavenly realms being able to accomplish his purposes, accomplish his will, accomplish his plan? How scary it would be to live in the universe of a small God. A God who couldn't really do much of anything. You know, we are blessed because we have this God who's in charge. And you can't read Ephesians 1 without kind of running smack into it. It's God who's taking the initiative in his power to bless. This book was written to the church at Ephesus. And I... I don't think I'm going out on a limb to say, I think the church at Ephesus probably looked much more like a house church than a big room gathered like this. So here's this house church, a small group of believers. They don't feel, they don't feel that big. You know what seems really big? Caesar seems big, and the Roman Empire seems big. The economy in Ephesus seems big. It is the third or fourth largest city in the empire. You know what else would seem pretty big to them? They could walk outside of the streets of Ephesus and they would see the temple of Artemis, which is one of the, the seven wonders of the ancient world. And that would seem big to them. And they could go to the Colosseum, one of the biggest Colosseums of the day. And that would seem very big to them. And Paul just reminds them, as big as all that seems, you have a God who is bigger. You have a God in verse 10 who has a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. You have a God that is bigger than cancer, bigger than bullying, bigger than being out of step with the world, bigger than abuse, bigger than pain, bigger than lost jobs, bigger than lost friends, bigger than betrayal, bigger than loneliness, bigger than sin. You have a God who's bigger and he takes the initiative to bless. There's another powerful dimension we have in this chapter. It's one thing that God takes the initiative to bless, but then secondly, God takes all these blessings and wraps them up in Jesus. So every spiritual blessing, he takes all those blessings and he wraps them up in the person of Jesus. How do I know that? Again, if you have Ephesians 1 in front of you, there's these phrases that you'll come across again and again and again. And they're the phrase, in Christ or in him. In Christ or in him. In the beloved one. It's there in verse 1. It's there in verse 3. It's there in verse 4. Verse 6. Verse 7. Verse 9. Verse 10. Verse 11. Verse 12. Verse 13. So God's not going to talk about blessings without you making sure that you know those blessings are wrapped up, not just in thin air, but in a person named Jesus. Jesus, a, a specific person. Jesus, a person who had 
his sandals in the soil of the Middle East. Jesus, who was born a Jew. Jesus, who gave solid evidence that he was God. Jesus, who told us that he had come into this world. A very real person who told us he came into this world to rescue it. Jesus, who lived. Jesus, who died. Jesus, who rose again on the third day. Jesus, who is the Son of God, who's the the Lord, every knee bows to him. Jesus, who is the Christ, he's the Messiah, the anointed one. All of God's blessings are wrapped up in Jesus. He's the one that accomplishes God's plan. God doesn't do blessings now without wrapping them up in Jesus Christ. And I think we need to know that. Because often we get kind of the idea, certainly in culture today, that all religions are pretty much the same. They're all pretty much saying the same thing. And Christianity says we're not saying the same thing because there's a person. And he's not a dispensable part of the whole equation as if he's the team mascot that can or may or may not come to the game. But if he doesn't come, we'll still play the game anyway. He's front and center to everything that God is doing. We worship him, we praise him. He's not the, just the character of some really neat stories or the teacher of some helpful parables. He's the center of God's plan. All the blessings of God, he wraps up in Jesus. He does so in verse 4 because he loves us. He does so in verse 7 and 8 because he's lavishing grace on us. Not haphazard. Not haphazard. The initiative of God so I can, I can understand where when we hear the words like purpose and plan and choice and predestination and counsel and will, I can understand where our minds may go to some sort of mechanical process that God has this plan and this purpose and it just all feels very mechanical. But that's where, again, we've got to know all these blessings that God took the initiative have, have been wrapped up in Jesus What's interesting is you read Ephesians 1, you read about some things that really, really matter. And sometimes we're not even fully aware how much they matter. But it really matters how we stand before a holy God. It really, really matters. And because God has wrapped up all the blessings in Jesus, in Jesus, in the presence of a holy God, we are made holy and blameless. That's what verses 3 and 4 say. We're made holy and blameless. So if you want to think about God's choice, just make sure you connect it to it's God's choice that you be made holy and blameless when you stand before him. You know, what really matters in life is that we have a a relationship with our Heavenly Father. That matters. And, And in Jesus, we have received... Verse 5, adoption into God's family. So if we're talking about predestination, we have to know this is the point of the predestination, that we would be adopted into God's family, that we wouldn't be left out in the cold. And this would happen before the foundations of the world. It's interesting when you're looking at a a picture out of a a baby book, often the, the first pictures, the first pages, if it doesn't start with an expectant mother, it starts with like the very few, very first moments of life. But imagine this. 
because of the blessings of God that we have in Jesus. Your book of life that details your life actually starts before there was a you. And in Christ you were loved in eternity past. Father, Son, and Spirit, all knowing your name, all knowing your place, your location, God's intention for you. What really matters is whether or not we will live our entire lives bound as a slave to our sin. In Jesus, it says we have redemption. Been set free for God's holy purposes. We're not bound anymore. This is what God had in mind. So we can talk about his purpose and his will, but just know where that's directed. This isn't cold. This isn't mechanical. This is so you and your life would not be held bound by sin, but you would be set free. What matters is the guilt and shame we feel because we are sinners. But in Jesus, according to verse 7, we have forgiveness of our trespasses. What matters is that we are in desperate need of a rescue. In Jesus, we have salvation. This is what happens. If you want to know what it looks like when God wills something to happen. Now, I'm not God. And you're not God. But when God wills something to happen, it looks like this. It looks like you being holy and blameless before the Lord. It looks like you being adopted into God's family. It looks like you being redeemed. It looks like you being forgiven of all the trespasses. It looks like you being saved and rescued. In a few moments when we take the ordinance of the Lord's Supper that Christians have observed for uh, centuries now, we we don't just kind of acknowledge a ritual or tradition. What we are acknowledging is a person. We're saying a person's body was broken for us and his name was Jesus and he's our Savior. And in him we have every spiritual blessing. And a person's blood was shed and his name was Jesus. And in him we have every spiritual blessing. You don't go to the Lord's table because you're trying to be religious, because you're perfect or you're doing your best to be perfect. You go to the table because you are in Jesus. And he said, remember me. Remember me. God has taken the initiative to bless people. He, he takes all those spiritual blessings and he wraps them up in Jesus Christ. These blessings are called spiritual, having to do with the Spirit. And, and kind of circles back, Paul circles back to the, that theme in, in verses 13 and 14. And, and we're reminded that God seals our blessings with the Holy Spirit. He seals our blessings. If you ever felt like you're on the verge of losing something that could be really important, it's helpful to hear these words. Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit, to give us the Holy Spirit, and he has. The Spirit comes and takes up residence in those who are in Christ. And the promised Holy Spirit is this. I think the word in the translation we read from in verse 14 is the guarantee in verse 14, the guarantee of our inheritance. Others would say the pledge or the deposit or the taste. He's a taste of something future, a full inheritance. He gives us a glimpse and a real taste into something that we will enjoy fully. He gives us the capacity to appreciate and celebrate and calibrate our lives to these blessings. We have this inheritance. So now, 
when it's kind of the, the past, eternity past, then we live in the present. We have this eternity future, this inheritance, and the Holy Spirit in the present gives us the taste of that. Every spiritual blessing. And that's sealed because of the Holy Spirit. There's times when I feel, I, I wish deeply we could be more honest as Christians about the doubts we feel about the doubts we have on, on the whole thing or the doubts we have on part of, part of this, the doubts we have in ourselves as to whether we really have enough what it takes. Because I, I, I meet lots of Christians who in private will say, you know, I, I just don't know if I can make it. it. It seems pretty hard to follow Christ and it doesn't seem, sometimes I, you know, I doubt and I waver and sometimes my heart seems too weak and this world is too strong and life is too fragile. And I would just say, if it was only up to you, if it was solely up to you, the prospects of you walking with Jesus until you meet him face to face might be pretty slim. But in all of your perseverance, in all of your efforts, there is another one infinitely greater than you, sealing you, working to make sure you stay faithful, making sure you stay true. The Holy Spirit seals us, giving us a taste of something future. The blessings that we've heard about this morning, the blessings that are ours in the heavenly realm, they are real. They're breaking through. We are living in those realities right now. How do, how do you receive those? I mean, we've talked about every spiritual blessing that God is taking the initiative to give. How do you receive it? Is it a matter of just, you know, earning it? If you just keep working hard, if you behave in a certain way, if you try to be more religious than you were in, in your 20s or your 30s, I mean, what is it that will, will make you a recipient of this? And this is where we hear it loud and clear, especially in verses 12 and 13 and 14. We receive these blessings by hearing and believing, by setting our hope on it. It's not about being raised in a, in a Christian home, giving you a head start at all the God stuff in the world. If you feel like you're behind because of that, you receive those blessings not because of the home you were raised in, but because of a God who's just eager to pour out those blessings. And this is what I can say with all confidence today. There are many in this room that he wants to pour out his blessings on you as you hear today of the good news. And as your heart believes and you set your hope in this, God is eager to bless you pour out spiritual blessings on you. Active hearing, active believing. When you read Ephesians 1, I wonder, I wonder if our heart kind of explodes with how amazing is God that he would bless us in this way. And if that's not our reaction, and what's going on inside? Perhaps we've grown too cold. Perhaps we've grown too accustomed. Let the words of Ephesians 1 fill our heart and let's come to the Lord's table as we take the bread and the juice and we remember his body and his blood. Come ready to taste and see again that the Lord is good. Or it might be, you say, I hear you talking about God and how he will bless us in Jesus and how the Holy Spirit will seal it. But Curtis, I feel like I don't have a personal relationship with 
God, much less Jesus. For that, I'd, I'd love to have a conversation with you. I know the deacons that will serve you in just a moment would love to have a conversation with you. Perhaps a friend or a family member invited you. Love to talk with you more about what it means to hear this word and to believe, to place your faith in Jesus Christ.